0: Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. This is John Homus, lead pastor of New City Fellowship in Hollywood, Florida. This sermon is a unique one because it was our congregation's last time worshiping Jesus in the location that we've been in for the past five years, 2740 Van Buren Street in Hollywood. On July 2nd, we're actually moving to a new location, 500 North Park Road, as well as a new time, 4.30 p.m. in the evening And so this sermon was really to encourage our church and really get them to think about what might God be doing, not just moving us to a new location, but moving our hearts to a greater worship, not just changing where we worship, but transforming us as greater worshipers. So I hope you're encouraged by God's word today. You know, even as we move forward, I just want to remind you of our core values. Our core values are... The things that guide us, that we make decisions based on, we we really have three, we're rooted in the gospel word, and that means we look for God to speak to us from the Bible, it's his written word. We are empowered by good news, that means we're not motivated by guilt or shame, but by God's goodness to us in the gospel. Our identity is in Christ, amen? And then lastly, that we're sent on gospel mission, Um, we see that the scriptures tell us we don't just go to church, we are the church. We're sent to be a light in a dark world. And really, that's pretty simple, but that's hard to do. And that's why you keep coming back to being rooted, being empowered, and being sent. And so I hope even this morning, as we are challenged by God's word, keep those things in mind. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 12, and we're just going to look at a couple verses, but then we're going to expand on the surrounding passage. The book of Hebrews is written to believers who have been persecuted because of their faith. And many of them are thinking of quitting the faith because of how challenging it's been. And as they look forward, they realize that more persecution is coming, more challenges are coming. And so the writer of Hebrews addresses them and says, I know it's been hard. It might get harder, but don't quit. Because of Jesus. Amen? Today we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 through 6, and we're going to hone on in these two verses where it says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he, what? The one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. This morning, as we talk about God the Father Almighty on Father's Day from the Apostles' Creed, I, I want to look at this: God disciplines the ones he loves. Now, I want to ask you: um, What's hard in your life right now? Is it a relationship? Is it a job situation? Is it a financial burden? Is it a quality of living situation that you just have not been able to fix? Um, what those things tend to do to us, or maybe I'll just say to me, I won't speak for you, is they tend to affect how I see God. We're sort of wired to rather than looking at the character of God and using that as the lens to look at our circumstances, and we, we rather look at our circumstances and use that as a lens to look at God. In other words, if my life is hard... God doesn't like me, or if my life is hard, I must have done something wrong. Now, it's tricky for us, because right here in this passage, it says the word that, the word discipline. Discipline comes from the Lord. And as soon as we hear that word, it's interesting what happens in our hearts, we start to get all kind of like out of whack, right? We start to think about that word, discipline, in a certain way. We think of it sort of reactionarily, as if, as if when God uses the word discipline, it's meant to convey something punitive, like punishment. It's something like revenge, or as if like God's this cosmic joker, like from the Joker in Batman. Remember how chaotic he was? He, was just, he just loved creating chaos in other people's lives. And when we hear the word discipline, our minds and our hearts naturally kind of think about that, but we we get it really wrong, and this passage tells us why. See, when we hear the word discipline, we assume so much about what God's motivation is when He does discipline us, and we assume so much about what discipline is. When I was uh, maybe had been a father about a year and a half at our old church in St. Louis. I would hold our oldest daughter, when she was probably a year and a half old, so that my wife could enjoy some worship, because it's kind of hard to worship when you have a one and a half year old, because they squirm all over the place, so I I was standing back at the double doors, just like we have here, and I was kind of wrangling this kid and trying to worship, and they were just squirming and all over the place, And, and this older gentleman in the church walked by and he saw the struggle that I was having to keep my child you know under wraps and he just looked at me and kind of smirked and he said fatherhood lots of love lots of discipline and i thought now there's something i like about that cuz it's simple i need something simple as a as a dad i need some simple strategy lots of love lots of discipline I like that, but what I I don't like about that is it sort of assumes that those things aren't connected. That discipline isn't related to love, and love isn't related to discipline. Uh, One of my friends was telling me that one of her friends was kind of allowed to do whatever she wanted growing up. In fact, her parents would let her go out as a teenager and say, hey, no curfew. And all of this girl's friends were like, awesome. No curfew, that must have been amazing. You must have loved your parents for letting you do whatever you want. And she reflected kind of sadly and said, no, I wanted them to give me a curfew. Because if they had given me a curfew, it would have meant that they cared. And I just wanted to know that they cared. See, when we think about the word discipline, what it really means in the original language is that idea of child rearing the idea of instructing your kid, the idea of forming your child, the idea of correcting them and training them. See, the word discipline assumes that a child is a mess and needs shaping. And when God uses the word discipline in scripture, it assumes that you and I are imperfect messes as well and we need a lot of help. And so God disciplines us as a father but it's important to understand the words that we should use around discipline as we use the term. And today I want to talk about three words when it comes to discipline. I want to talk about tenderness, I want to talk about training, and I want to talk about transformation. Tenderness, training, and transformation Most of the time, when we are disciplined by God or when we talk about God's discipline, we think it proves his retributive anger. And by retributive, I mean this. There's an anger in the face of injustice that is righteous, and there's also an anger which is just like, I'm tired of that person, I'm going to get them back. And a lot of times, we think God's anger is like the second But actually, God's discipline isn't associated with his retributive anger. Rather, it's associated with his tenderness. God's discipline proves his tenderness towards you and me. Look at verse 5 and verse 6 again. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. That is to say God's instruction, God's correction, God's shaping and forming of us comes out of his fatherly love. It it, it is a gift from him towards us that proves he actually cares about us. It's confirmation that he receives us as we are and is committed to change us into being more like him. In the midst of his discipline, his love is secure. His affections are attached. His acceptance of you is eternal. And that is the very reason why he trains you. That is the very reason why he instructs you. That is the very motivation behind his discipline of you as his child. But it doesn't say child, does it? It says son. And some of us might go, ah. The ladies in the room might be a little offended by that. But but understand that in this culture, when the Bible uses the word son, it wasn't just talking about a male offspring. Rather, it was talking about the status that a male child would have in the family. And you might say, well, that's unfair. And it probably was a little bit for the daughters. But it's saying that in the family of God, everyone who is a child of God has premier status with God. Not because of our behavior, but because of what Jesus, the perfect son, has done for us. And so God treats us as his most beloved son, Jesus... Not because we've done things to earn his love, but because he loves us as we're in his son. So, it says that his discipline of his sons is something that's not extraordinary, but actually quite regular. In verse 7, it says, it is discipline, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you have, in which you have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Um, we need to do a little reprogramming of our minds because when we hear the word discipline, we automatically assume and surround it with feelings of shame and feelings of guilt, And as the cranberries say, most of that is in your head. It has nothing to do with God's posture towards you. See, look, we've already answered the question, what kind of person you are. You're a sinner. God already knows that. God already knows that you're going to mess up every day. You're going to fall short of his glory every day. Yet we let shame define us as if there's something Uniquely wrong about us compared to everybody else. God has already defined who we are that we are sinners and yet children who have been accepted through the work of Jesus. We are sinners saved by God's grace. And so when God convicts us, it's not about our identity, it's not about us being the worst person in God's family. It's not even portraying maybe you had bad experiences with your own parents, it's not meant to trigger that in you. Rather, it's, it's meant to confirm to you that he loves you, that he cares about you, that you are his child. And, and so go cautiously with resisting his discipline because you're resisting his love. You're resisting your status. You're resisting your identity. God's discipline proves his tenderness. But if we take it just even a step further, we have to understand that being in a relationship with God isn't about always being pain-free. In fact, God's love is not about getting rid of all pain. Rather, God's love requires our training, and sometimes training is hard. Training develops qualities, so for instance, if you want to learn a skill, you have to train at it, and that's not always fun. If you want to get in shape, you have to train at it, and that can be quite painful. Uh, if you want to learn an instrument, you have to train at it, and it might hurt your fingers if you are growing in a profession, you have to devote yourself to it. You have to prioritize that development, that education over other things, and sometimes that is not fun. See, so often we look at God's training as if it's like writing sentences when you get in trouble in elementary school. I remember one time I got in trouble for something in elementary school, and I had to write sentences. I will not ever again, and I don't remember what it was, but I do remember that's when I found a carbon paper, and uh, I got some carbon paper and put it in between the notebooks. And, and I, like, tripled my sentences and got it done in, like, five minutes. But So why did I do that? Well, I kind of thought this was worthless. This doesn't really have anything to do with shaping my own, my own character. Uh, but rather, there is a purpose when God trains us. In verse 9 through 10, the author says this, besides this, We have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. So there's actually a real purpose for God's training in our lives. It's to make us more like him. He wants us to be like like dad. Like our Heavenly Father. And I find that so many times we, we tend to react to what we didn't like about our childhood. I, I had a friend once who told me about his friend, who, and his friend had a really overbearing father, like super controlling. And so, what did he do when he grew up and had his own kids? Well, he reacted the opposite way. He let his kids do anything they wanted. In fact, Their house was overtaken by toys, so you couldn't even go visit because his kids got everything they wanted. And rather than asking the question, what does a good father do, what's the purpose, what's my vision for my child, he just said, well, I'm not going to be that. And rather than having a purpose, he had a reaction. And so much of us do the same thing with life. Every one of us knows that the good use of authority has a purpose behind it. I've never had a coach that showed up to a practice and said, what do y'all want to do? No, he had a plan for us. He wanted us to become better versions of ourselves and better versions of a team because training develops quality. And part of us being good dads in this room is to be like our heavenly father and to parent with a purpose. My own dad who does some counseling has said, you always should have three goals in your mind as you're parenting. As you raise your children, you should shape them so that they're serviceable to God, like they want to serve God, that they're hireable, in other words, they can keep a job, and that they're marryable. like if they want to get married one day, they could be a good spouse to someone. And I find that's very helpful, serviceable to God, hireable, and marryable. It's a good thing to help me keep a purpose as I raise my own kids, but then to remember that God has a purpose in raising us. But sometimes that training is hard. There's this scene where Rocky Balboa is training to fight Ivan Drago and, and, and Rocky Four, which is one of the best ones, in my opinion. But um, his coach is Duke, which was Apollo's old coach. And, and as Rocky's training, Duke keeps yelling at him, no pain, and Rocky says back to him, no pain. And then Duke says, no pain, no pain, no pain, no pain. As if there was no pain in the training. Friends, training is painful. <laughs> I, I know that you and I don't have the guts that Rocky Balboa did, but, but even here in the Bible, it's not sadistic. It says this is hard, and sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it hurts. Verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Amen. We're not called to be David Goggins here, training insanely and just going, it doesn't hurt. It does hurt. It's hard. We walk through things relationally that are painful. Situationally, we experience pain. Emotionally, sometimes we have pain. Financially, organizationally, physically, we have pain. And even as we fight our sin nature, we experience pain. Christian life is not easy. It's incredibly Challenging. But the author reminds us in verse 4 that we struggle. And in our struggle against sin, these believers had not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Some of the trials we go through are our own fight against our own sin nature. I mentioned Tim Keller a couple weeks ago, and in many ways, he was a pastor to me, even though I never met him. But this quote that he said kind of shocked me as he was dying. This tweet came out, and he was just weeks away from death, and he said, the way I handle my imminent death is by fighting my sin and getting deeper communion with God. I thought, wow. He's probably maybe fighting his own anger that he has cancer. He's fighting his own questions. He's fighting his own pride. But I thought, there's something beautiful about that. Even in this last season of life, he sees what's happening as a training that's preparing him to be more like Jesus. One of the things that makes this hard is that when we experience discipline, it interrupts our vision of what the good life should be. Right? How many of you, your vision of the good life includes pain? Not me. More than often than not, our vision of the good life includes life always getting better. More comfort, more security, more power, more influence. But the reality is sometimes the Lord trains us in a way that disrupts all those things, and we end up in places, and we're like, I don't really want to be here. But that's because God's target in his discipline is not our vision of the good life. God's target when he disciplines us is our transformation. He wants to change us. I've been engaging with this idea that I think has actually been really helpful for me, as a leader and how it's going to be helpful for our church. But there's um, two authors named Heifetz and Linsky, and they wrote a book called Leadership on the Line. And they talked about the difference between technical changes and adaptive changes. Now, a technical change is, let's say that you have a heart problem because you've been eating really poorly and never exercised. And you go to the doctor and you say, doctor, uh, I just need a little tweak here. Why don't you give me a pill that'll make me feel better? And like, you know, heal my heart. Whereas an adaptive change is you learning that you have to become a different type of person. You need to become a person who eats healthy to save your heart. You need to become a person who exercises to save your heart. But the thing is, is as leaders and as people, we kind of always want that technical change rather than the adaptive change. That is to say, we rather would have a tweak than be transformed. But God is almost always about our transformation. He's almost always about our transformation. See, even in our prayer lives, our prayer lives to our Father are often about these technical changes in our life. God, do this for me. God, change this circumstance. And those are bad prayers. In fact, the Scripture says to pray those prayers. But how often are we praying for our own transformation? God, make me more like you. God, in this season of hardship, rather than just getting, asking to get out of it, I'm going to ask that you would use it to change me. Technical change versus adaptive change. Now, I think that applies to us individually, but I also think that applies to us as a church in the season that we're going through as God our Father leads us. There was an author named Todd Bolsinger, and he picked up on this idea of technical change and adaptive change. And he wrote this wonderful book, and here's the title, it's kind of a funny title, it's called Canoeing the Mountains, Canoeing the Mountains. And in the book, he, he uses the illustration of the explorers, Lewis and Clark, with their guide, Sacagawea, and how they expected to find a waterway from the east side of the United States all the way through the middle of the country that would lead to the Pacific Ocean. And so they had their canoes, and they were just going to paddle the river from the east to the west, But if you've ever looked at a map, and they didn't have this map, you know that there's something in the middle of the country called the Rocky Mountains. And when they came to those mountains, all of the sudden, the very thing that they were good at, canoeing, was actually a burden to them. And rather than them just going, how do we get over these mountains? How do we figure out how to get these canoes to to be guided through the mountains, which would have been a technical change? They had to learn to adapt. They had to learn that thinking they were good at something was actually keeping them from getting over those mountains. And I think as a church, there can be a tendency for us to go, we're losing the best thing we have going for us, as this is our last Sunday at 2740 Van Buren Street. And so we've got to get to our final location as quickly as possible. But friends, that, that, in my opinion, would be like canoeing the mountains, because I don't think this is ultimately about us finding our final location, although I pray that happens quickly. I believe that this change that we're going through is not about a final location, but about our ongoing transformation, about us becoming a new kind of people, a people who persevere, a people who love each other even when it's hard, a people who are willing to serve not just when it's convenient, but even when it's costly. In verse 11b, the author tells us the goal of God's discipline. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I think God is using this season to teach us how to target his character, to how to target transformation so that we're more like Jesus. So that we're focused not just on circumstances changing, but on character training as individuals and as a church together. So that a year from now, people walk in and say, wow, that church is different than they were. They look more like Jesus than they did. And here's the way, the main way, I think, I think that God's going to do that. I think He's going to train us more and more that it's not just about going to church, because really this isn't the church, this is a building, but rather being the church together, being God's blended family. I've heard it a couple times, and, and I've said it myself. It's not sin to say this, but it reveals what we really think. I've, I've heard people say, well, we'll miss going to New City. And my first response is, well, we are New City. This isn't New City. We're a new city. We're God's blended family. And so we have to be willing to recognize, do we think as church, do we think of church as like just a building that we go to, a product that we consume on Sunday mornings, or is it a people that we're part of, a family that we're committed to? Sometimes I wonder, you know, if there's a catch-22. I think a lot of people have come to this church and found a place of comfort, in a place of healing. But sometimes I wonder if that place of comfort has also turned into us being too comfortable. Us being too comfortable. Us thinking about church as if what's convenient for me rather than what's good for everybody else. Not just going to church, but being the church. And so I think what that means is that rather than expecting others to serve us, we actually step up join a team, commit to serve once a month. We commit to each other. We prioritize the family over our own convenience. I I don't think that's gonna be easy. I think it's gonna be challenging. But I think that's what it means to cooperate with God's transformation of us. And we have this promise that as he trains us to become something more like him, we will bear the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I'll be honest with you. This same thing happened about five years ago. There were just a few of you in that room, and we were meeting at OB Johnson down the street, and I realized that location is not the best location for us. And I began to look and search for a new location. And I look back at that time, and I wish I could say that as a leader I was steady, but I really wasn't. I look back at that time, and all I remember is how anxious I was that the Lord wasn't going to provide, that maybe people would leave the church, things like that. And I look back at that time, and I go, man, I did not like going through it. And I'm not leading perfectly through this season. But I have seen the Lord work in my life in a different way. That I am a whole lot less anxious this move than I was five years ago. Because I've just seen him do it. I know it's going to be challenging. I know it's going to be hard. I know there's going to be times when we're anxious about the future. But he comes through. And I want to look back on this time and remember being marked by faith in a good God and a good Father who I know is training us rather than marked by being someone full of anxiety and worry. We're called not to shrink back but to lean in and depend on the Lord because he is committed to train us. Verse 12 and 13 say this, Therefore... Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. I love that the passage recognizes how prone we are to be discouraged, our desire to quit, and yet it says, don't let it happen. Let's embrace what God is doing. He is a good God. That doesn't mean life is pain-free. That doesn't mean church is easy. But let us remember this is primarily not about us changing locations, but rather God's commitment to change us as his people. The ones he loves. Amen? We get the strength for that by looking to Jesus. The passage starts off by saying, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also set aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to who? Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The, the author reminds us of this, not to put us through a guilt trip, but rather to give us gospel motivation. And we get that gospel motivation by remembering what Christ has done, that Jesus endured suffering and death and ridicule. On our behalf, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Jesus went through that on the cross because he loved you and he wanted you to be reconciled to God. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. It represents his blood for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' body was broken. His blood was shed so that you and I could be forgiven. And as we move forward into God's training, we're reminded to look at Jesus, to look at this table, to remember the motivation so that you and I could persevere as well.